Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect, committed to change. In terms of those bycatch numbers, yeah. uh, and, I, and I've heard, I've seen various statistics, but the the one I'm looking at now is they reckon it up to a, up to about forty percent of all commercial fishing is actually bycatch. Do you have a better idea of your you're the doctor or scientist? Do you have a better idea as to how accurate that number might be? Uh, yeah, I guess if you took every type of gear in the world, you could probably come up with a figure around forty percent. But okay, I'll give you I'll give you two examples. One is a trawl fishery that operates in northern Australia. Yep, it is the. Northern Australian uh, trawl fishery. <laughs> yeah. Where did they come tech, up with that name? Tech. No, it's called Chick, the Northern. Check that one. It, no, it's, called the, it's called the Northern Prawn Fishery. Yeah. Okay, so the Northern Prawn Fishery. So it is. It's MSC certified as a bottom trawl fishery that goes after prawns. It's about a ten thousand ton a year uh, trawl fishery. So back in the day, there was like two hundred boats in that fishery, and they, you know, were just kind of in the Gulf of Carpentaria, you know, going pretty wild. That was recognised by the management. They said, "Hey, this isn't." This isn't cool. They ran risk assessments on the bycatch they were doing and they put a bunch of measures in place that uh, reduced the bycatch considerably. So things like, you know, trawl, uh, you have escapement routes and uh, turtle excluding devices, which is basically as a as a trawl is pulled along the bottom in like, you know, as the net is at, at its widest, everything goes through the chute in, that's in that range. A turtle excluding device is basically a grid before everything goes in the back of the net that shoots out animals at the top of that net that would otherwise have passed through. So it's kind of like allows prawns through because the grid's maybe like three inches between the bars. Anything bigger than that, sharks, big rays, turtles, they get shot at the top. That reduced their bycatch of those animals crazy. Yeah. And so in a trawl fishery, the, the rough number is you have 10 to 1 for your bycatch to prawn ratio. So you need to catch basically 10 kilos of stuff to get one kilo of prawns as like a rule of thumb. So, so 10 kilos of caught stuff to catch a kilo of prawn. So basically 90% by, by catch. Yeah, that was, that was a rule of thumb I learned at uni in yeah. the start of the 2000s. Yeah. So that's given away my age as so well. So hang on, hang on. That, that would still be considered yeah, sustainable? No, no. So what <laughs> – well, po- possibly, yeah. It depends, on what, it depends on what species you're interacting with and what their population is like at the time. So it's all about what your impact is on the population that you're catching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about – the, the whole species of so if you've got a massive snapper colony, yep. you're talking about the impact on that actual colony there and then. Yeah. What you're talking about is in order to get ten kilo of snapper, you've got to c- catch a ninety kilo of 
uh, something stuff, else yeah. stuff and you're talking about is that humane and humane or, or even is it considered sustainable that's the question I, i'm not t- talking about the ethics or yeah the yeah no, okay yeah, co- yeah. cool but and what what you're saying is it is because it depends on each individual well, stock i'm not saying it is i'm saying it could be but to go the, back yeah. to that northern prawn fishery so they they put those measures in place in the kind of i think it was late 90s early 2000s they had bycatch bycatch reduction devices in place so you have bigger mesh panels towards the kind of just before the end of the net where bigger fish that can swim against the current can swim out turtle excluding devices they also put this thing in place in the last kind of 10 years and so sorry at the time i think they had their ratio like eight to one for eight eight kilos of whatever it is for one kilo of prawns and then they put another measure in place because that again the risk assessment was saying you know this maybe this can keep improving and this is during the life of the MSC certification as well because that fishery came in. Uh, they're on their, they're about to be, I think they're on their second certification. I can't remember. Anyway, they put in another bycatch reduction measure, which is it's called like a Tony something or it's got a person's name and it's kind of like a tube. Anyway, it's basically, it looks like half a witch's hat cut in half and it's stitched into the net at the top of the net. And that allows like a pocket of water where things can hit it and swim out of like an escape channel. <laughs> That fishery is now operating at about two to one. So it's, you know, almost as good as a prawn trawl fishery can mm. get. And two kilos of bycatch, one kilo prawns is like, that's, that's quite good. That, that, that's, that's interesting. Like that, how that is quite good from, cause from a, my perspective, I look at it and go, gee, that, that's still a lot of wastage, but that's interesting how but some of, some of that isn't necessarily wastage in a, in a prawn trawl fishery. You're going after prawns, yeah. but you might be catching, um, you know, a fish species that you can still sell to market and you might retain that. You might be getting, you know, other shellfish, scallops, or whatever that go into your net that count in that, say, two to one, and you still you can still sell that off. There are things that you can't keep. So, again, going back to the MSC world, there's various things you look at in bycatch. One of them is that your population level impacts aren't high enough, and so that if you have our criteria is is, is if a single species that is not your target is five percent of your catch or higher, you have to consider that to a higher degree in our requirements. If it's 5% or lower, the assumption is that if you're only impacting less than 5% of that population, then that impact from that fishery isn't going to destroy that stock to a point where it's not going to exist. Then the next thing is you have um, endangered, threatened, protected species. So they're things that you can't keep. So that's things in Australia like, or in pretty much around the world, turtles, dolphins, whales, some shark species. Those are the things that what, have a what high... About, what about vegans? What do we do with them? Um, oh, we, we, <laughs> give them big cuddles. Yeah. <laughs> On that numbers, like, I, I, one, one stat I'm just looking at now, this is from a couple of different uh, journals, is that scientists estimate as many as 650,000 whales, dolphins and seals are killed every year by fishing vessels. And I guess... By, as bycatch. So yep. when, when, no, no offence, but when you put it like that, that's shit. That's shit. I'd say, but that, again, it's this... It's this issue of raw numbers versus what does that mean for the population where those raw numbers came from. So oh, then, I think be pretty poor. Well, no fishery wants to kill those kind of animals, right? There's some fisheries that interact with them for the nature of their gear or whatever. The MSC isn't set up to say you can't kill those animals. Like it's not, not like a zero interaction yeah, thing. Yeah, MSC relies on the management in place for that fishery to say, okay, that fishery interacts with X number of seabirds per year the tolerable limit of that is this. If that fishery operates below that limit and it's demonstrating that can happen, then as far as the MSC is concerned, it's operating in a way that's global best practice because 
if the management agencies and the groups that are dealing with those species have agreed to a point where the impact on that population is such that it's not going to make them go extinct, then that's that's how the fishery operates. That's okay for the MSC. But the point is, if you're MSC certified, you have to demonstrate that you're not going to drive uh, any population that you interact with extinct. So, so you can't have you can't have impacts that uh, lead to the you know that animal going away. So Jeremy, I remember did a. One of the things that I thought was really cool that does you did. not hinder. That's the term yeah. I was just trying to think of. It well, does not hinder the recovery of that population. I remember not, you were involved in the, I guess the rescue, or re- rehabilitation, and release of a sea turtle in yes, Dr. Duan March. Yeah, so these guys are, we've sort of had them on the podcast as well yep. before. So Jeremy visited the rehabilitation center and yeah, actually cost. released a sea yep. turtle. Yep. And what's the journey that they take? They they bugger off from coughs, they go out a couple of K, okay, then they hit some currents, go down and say hi to New Zealand, around the bottom yep. of New Zealand, then they end up in South America. They take a holiday there for about ten years or twenty years, and they come back to the same beach, have a shag, and yep. you know no, they've already what? had a shag out at sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is, yeah, had a shag at sea, come yep. and lay their eggs. Yeah, yeah. Great life. Yes, you know, good. go around and see New Zealand. Yeah. So, what's your point? So, I guess the question is, like, they're my point is they're an amazing creature. Like, a, and I think any impact to their population would be considered pretty yep. uh, significant, and I don't think the public would really like it at all. But, but if science is proving, sorry, if the numbers are proving that by going through the MSC course, meaning that these fishermen are trying to be as sustainable as possible, blah blah blah, there's correct words for that, mm-hmm. and the population is not on decline. That may be morally wrong for you or for people out there to go, oh, God, there's going to be some turtles that are dead, there's going to be some dolphins, there's going to be some whales. But as a whole, in the, in the whole world, stocks are going to go up because these guys love fish. Mm. That's the conundrum, isn't mm. it? Yeah. Look, yeah and look, I find it hard yeah. sitting here going, yeah. well, I don't want flipper dying either. But yeah. same time, I want my tuna steak. But that's my point. I think a lot of people are making the disconnection. I think a lot of people, and I'm, I'm, I would have made the same mistake prior to doing a lot of this research, um, is that a lot of people think fishing is just catching fish. They, they actually forget about the 650,000 seals, dolphins and whales and sea turtles that are killed every year as a result of fishing. Yeah, but how many, how many, okay. I but think, I think put, the numbers but, are, but, but, cool, but put that into perspective. How many, sea, how many dolphins are there? If you go through the MSC process and you say there's 650,000 things getting killed, you would be able to answer that question. How many is in the stock? Because that assessment team and that fisher would have to demonstrate that that 650,000 is going to drive yeah, those okay. species extinct. Mm. That is the point. So it's about, it's about impact on, lowering your impact on the total populations and endangered threat and protected species are where you know lots of people have their their heart aligned to a species so for example sharks that's my background yeah. so a number that's thrown around for sharks is that 100 100 million sharks are killed every year that is a big number but it's also not really the point because of that 100 million sharks getting killed a year many of those species can deal with a high amount of fishing pressure and even though they're part of that 100 million they can be fished sustainably. And there's sharks out there that I used to catch in where I did my, I did my PhD in Harvey Bay, Fraser Island, mm. East Coast, Queensland, bottom of the, uh, Southern Hemisphere, those people listening. Yeah, no, part no, of the world. no, Peter Worth, good. Peter Worth, one of our, uh, one of our, uh, guys up here in Queensland. He's from Harvey Bay. There you go. Do you know Peter Worth? I do not. He's going to Tool tonight. Good luck with that. Same Peter. here. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why you're in Brisbane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I nearly wore my tool shirt that's got a fish on it, but I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Oh, look out. I got a vegan shirt you can wear. Vegan vibes. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I, I'm actually Segan, pretty much. Uh, so we'll get to this later. Oh, but, yeah. I do um, want to talk about this. Actually. Okay, so what were we talking about before? We were talking about Tool. It's going to be so tool. good. I oh, know. <laughs> so I know. They got a sick new album. Um, yeah. So... I've listened to it what over and over again too. Oh, it's yeah. so good. Sharks, Sharks, right, Sharks. Okay, so Your PhD topic. My PhD topic, yeah. <laughs> that thing I should know about. Okay, so Sharks, sharks in, in general can't deal with high amounts of fishing pressure because their biology doesn't let them be fished very hard. So they, compared to bony fish, teleos, which are things like tuna, snapper, it, pretty much think of a fish, it's a teleos, it's yeah. not a shark, which is an elasmic brain. They don't have bones at all? No. Sharks? No. Cartilage. Cartilaginous. Oh, I suppose they are too. So the cut fishes are the sharks, rays, and chimeras. Chimeras are elephant fish. They're fishable as well. Sharks and rays, they're really vulnerable to fishing pressure because they uh, grow really slowly. Yeah. They mature very late and they give birth to very few offspring. Mm. So if you have those traits in the natural world with no fishing, you're killing it because you're pretty much giving birth to animals that come out and can just be predators from day one. Yeah. And so you're investing more energy in producing an offspring that can live. Whereas teleos, they're broadcast spawners. They put their sperm and eggs in the water. They have a planktonic stage. They have, you know, hundreds of thousands of eggs, millions of eggs, and the mortality rate for each one to become an adult is really high. Yeah. Whereas for sharks and rays, it's really low because they, like I said, invest less energy, right? But if you start fishing that animal that can't reproduce quickly – you drive it into a point where, you know, it's going to become overfished. And that has happened for lots of sharks around the world. They're, they are a vulnerable group of um, vertebrates, I think. Stingrays actually might be one of the more vulnerable groups of vertebrates in the world. It's like 40% or something like that, 40 50% are vulnerable to extinction, according to the IUCN red list. It's really high. That also has to do with the fact where they live. They live in coastal areas. Yeah. That's the first place people go fishing and through areas that have high coastal fishing, you're going to hit stingray straight away. They have a lot of meat, all those kind of reasons. But anyway, so even in sharks, right? So sharks are slow growing, late maturing, like small amounts of young. There's still a huge range in there for species of sharks. So you might have, so the group of sharks I'm going to talk about are whaler sharks. So whaler sharks are a shark looking shark. If you think of a shark apart from a great white or a mako shark, because they're a mackerel shark, a lamnid. A whale you shark. really do know your sharks, don't yeah. you? So, yeah, I'm glad. All I was doing before when you asked me all these hard questions, like, I just talk about sharks. I just talk about sharks. <laughs> no, go vegan. You can talk about sharks after you go, go vegan. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a lawyer. Well, speaking of sharks. Uh, yeah, so anyway, yeah, so within that, so whaler sharks are things like black tips, bull sharks, tiger sharks. Pretty much the bigger you get, the slower you are to grow and the fewer offspring you have. You might reproduce once once every two years, right? So, so, so great whites, obviously, shag bugger all. Well, I don't know if they shag bugger all. Well, but well, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. They so don't have many kids. They don't have many kids. No, they don't have many offspring. Sorry, mate. Just like you. <laughs> My yeah. niece is a nephew of this show, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do they? Yeah. Of course. Okay, hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so sharks have a, a, a huge range in their biology as well. So you have in one group, whaler sharks, there's about, I think it's like 15 to 20 species we have in Australia. They range from, the biggest one's the tiger shark, 
you got things like dusky whalers and bull sharks and stuff. Oh, if anyone in Queensland says they saw a bronze whale, that's not true. <laughs> I fished around Fraser Island for three years, didn't catch one. It's just a generic term people use. If you're in South Australia, I believe you. But saw a bronzy, bro. Yeah, no, saw you a bronzy, didn't. you didn't. You saw one of six things. Um, and if you don't have fin tip ratios and dots on them, then um, don't talk to me. But anyway, so bull sharks and stuff, they might have, say, 10 pups, and they might do that every two years. In the same family, the whale sharks, there's species like I did, which called, there's one called the slit eye shark. That's the species I looked at. And there's this, another species called the Australian sharp nose shark. For those paying attention, slit, <laughs> slit eye shark locks it on Macarinus. <laughs> and the Australian sharp nose shark is rhizoprite on uh, something, Taylor eye. You wouldn't want to have a lisp in your yeah. business, would you? <laughs> no, that's right. Okay, so anyway, the point of this is that those two species, they are fast producing. They, they mature after about two years. Bull sharks and stuff, dusky whalers, they mature after like 15. So, Within one group of sharks, there's such a diverse range of biology. And so that means that they can deal with different fishing pressure. And so the, like the, back to this whole thing about 650,000 things getting killed, 100 million sharks. 100 million sharks is a lot. But if you're talking about 100 million sharks and 80 million of them are from small-bodied whaler sharks that can deal with a high yeah, amount okay, of fishing yeah. pressure, then yeah. it doesn't have the same impact as 100,000 great whites. Sure. You know what I mean? So it, it all comes down to... Is it, what's the biology of that species, first of all? How is it managed and what's the catch? And if it's not impacting that population that's managed in such a way that it's going to be fine, then those numbers are high, but they can sometimes be out of proportion to what it actually means in terms of the impact. And that's, like anything, that's marketing. You know what I mean? That where you're pulling up those facts from, that's from a group that obviously wants to make that number sound really, really big. And we see it through all, all different types of um, industries, you know, like... Yeah, we've got industries out there that claim that they catch 80 tonne of cheap, uh, gross pollutants a day. Well, how have you actually figured that out if you read the fine print? So it's really nice to get everything in proportion because I, up until then, I'd be like, oh, well, 100 million sharks. But if you, if you know, from what you're saying, 80, 80 million of them. No, were, that's not that number. No, no, I'm no, I'm just as was. an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, I, it's, I'm, not, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to downplay the threats that sharks have globally. No, no, no. All no, I'm no. saying is that proportion, those with, kind of numbers also need consideration about what is the what is the composition that leads to those things, right? Mm. And so, for example, there's two of the most commonly caught sharks in long line in, you know, the um, tuna fisheries are the silky shark and the oceanic and white tip. And, Silky sharks are vulnerable now globally and oceanic white tips are critically endangered. And so those species, for sure, if you're impacting on to that point, that's not good. And those kind of fishing threats need to be reduced and you need to reduce your bycatch in order to keep those populations going. The point I'm trying to make is that also people that come at you with those kind of numbers sometimes don't have the perspective of a, a shark isn't just a shark. There's so much, there's so many variations in that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Question. Whose job is it on the boat to go down and untangle the shark? Uh, normally, it's the deckies. So wow. you've got uh, so in a long line. What situation, do they get paid per hour? Uh, I'm not sure. Not it depends lot. where you are in the so world. So how, how do they? What do they actually go? Go boy, go down and untangle. Okay, that. so the, the long line would come back up on the side of the boat, yeah. and they would spot it. And in the where we are in the world, the Western Central Pacific Ocean. Yeah. So I'm kind of talking about tuna fisheries here. So tuna, uh, they're yeah, incredible cool. animals, but the tuna stocks are there's like kind of four main management bodies that deal with tuna around the world the pacific split in half to the eastern side the eastern pacific the western pacific where we are in australia there's the indian ocean there's the atlantic each of those have different rules and regulations about how you interact with species and how your tuna fisheries manage but in the western central pacific to answer your question about what does a fisherman do 
silky sharks and oceanic white tip sharks are non retained. You have to, you can't retain them anymore. You have to release them. Wow. That goes for any tuna fishery in the Western Central Pacific. So what they do is if a, if a shark comes up, they normally spot them within, you know, like they've got the main line and they've got the, the hook line that yeah, goes yeah, out yeah, to the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. They'd see it. If they can get it close to the boat, they'll try and get the hook out. They'll try and, you know, cut the line so, 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 or they'll so, just let, it, let it release it. Okay, but try and get the hook out of the shark's mouth. I mean, what is that? Hey, you go first. I mean, no, had, no, well, physically they get <laughs> like, are they in the water? No, the sharks are in the water. That Normally they just cut the line and let them okay. swim away and they try and get as close to the hook as they can so they don't have much trailing okay. behind them. But so the hook's still in the shark's mouth? The hook's still in the shark's mouth, yeah. And so that can be – I'll give an example from my PhD again. So I used to go um, set lining for sharks. I had a gill net out as well and I'd have a set line. I'd catch sharks and I'd – most of my study was tag and release. So, I mean, I honestly just went fishing Apart for sharks Fridays for three years. with the boys. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's right. But um, I'm married now, so that's all good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you would get a shark, you'd bring it back close to the boat. I had I had the advantage of working in a place like Harvey Bay mm. and, you know, time wasn't money for me and I wanted to keep these animals alive when I released them. Yeah. And the fishermen do as well, but, you know, I'm in basically a sheltered harbour mm. in a four-and-a-half-metre boat, right? So if I got a big enough shark that I couldn't bring it onto the boat, I would leave it off the side of the boat, tail rope it, the the hook would be tied off the front of my um, little rail on the side of my boat, and then I'd try and get the hook out either with a pair of bolt cutters if I couldn't get it out with pliers or a set of long pliers. So these like two and a half, three metre sharks, side of a boat, you, you know, can be at night, can be in some weather, you're ducking your hand in and out of the water. Um, my OHS guy at uni loved me. But um, so that was – that's. That's just I just said that because it sounds awesome. But no, the, my point is, my point is that I would sometimes recapture those sharks, or the next day they would be caught in the commercial fishery, or the next like two weeks they'd be maybe caught. they're coming looking for you. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they come to that same spot. So I'd have a couple of sharks uh, that were recaptured because I put a, I put an ID yeah. tag in their in their back or whatever. So a couple of sharks that I had that were recaptured, you know, after two days of. You know, so I could go back to my notes and look at, okay, how, what was the hook? Okay, I bolt cut it, it's still had in its mouth. Two days later, I caught that same shark, didn't have a hook in its mouth. So if you can get to the thing and like, you know, snip yeah. that hook, it can fall out. A shark that I had, it was out for about three months or something and got recaptured. The hook, I, I couldn't get to the actual hook because it was in its mouth, like beyond its teeth. Yeah. So I'm not sticking yeah. my hand in a chainsaw mouth death fish. So when I got that back, had dissected, had a look at it, the hook had pretty much rusted away. So that kind of thing, can it, it can go away. Yeah. The the big issue at the moment in the tuna fleets that they're dealing with is that that's just like, you know, one shark. So it's not going to happen all the time. But one of the things that's happening in the tuna fleets at the moment is because things like silky sharks and oceanic white tips are becoming non-take, you have to look at, okay, the next thing is what's their post-release mortality. So if you are cutting them off, when you see them coming up to the side of the boat, what happens then? Do they live and do they live for a week? Do they live for two years? What is it? And so there's research going on now to look at, you know, observers that or, you know, deckies that are out there cutting the lines. Is there a, you know, a relationship between the length of that mm. fishing line up yeah, the side yeah, of its yeah, thing yeah, to how yeah. it's released? There's different species have different, yeah. you know, and I think at the moment it's about, uh, it's something like 60%. At a guess, I think there was a, a stock assessment for oceanic white tips where 60% is assumed to be the post-release survivorship at a guess. And so this research is looking whether that's actually high or low. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We've focused a lot of our attention on commercial fishing and, and you know, fishing yeah. in our oceans and whatever, but obviously you mentioned right at the start that a, more or less about half of all fish consumption is actually produced from aquaculture. Yep. Is that considered – do you guys get involved in sort of accrediting that at all? No, there's a kind of sister organisation to the MSC called the ASC, so the Aquaculture Stewardship Council. Oh. And so they do a similar thing where they go to farms and rather than have a fishery become certified or a group of fishers in a fleet, that farm needs to become certified for all its activities. And to be honest, I don't know all that much about aquaculture. Mm. I know that group exists. They've had – certifications for a number of different aquaculture in Australia, um, some of the salmon farms down in Tassie, Cobia up north in Queensland, some prawn farms, but that's pretty much the extent of my aquaculture knowledge. Well, can you taste the difference? I don't know. Apparently, apparently oh. you can taste the difference. I, I know that there's a difference between a farm salmon in Australia and a wild salmon in Canada. Mm. You've yeah. got a Canada eat salmon over there. It's pretty awesome. And, I mean, the stuff out of Australia is still pretty good, but – yeah. Well, just on that, what's your favourite fish to eat? Favourite fish to eat? Probably the fish I caught that day. Okay. I don't care what it is. Okay. If I catch it that day and it's in the esky, then good not only is there a good story behind it probably and yeah. you're you know, frothing out about getting it, but it's going to be tasty and fresh. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, well, I can't ask this for Brad, but mine is a blue cod from the South Island New Zealand. Yeah, right. Oh, is that the same you? as like a blue-eyed traveller? Is that no. the same thing here? No. no. Okay. Blue cod, South Island New Zealand. Uh, my memories of going out with mum and dad, yeah. and we had a boat, so dad and I would be fishing. Yeah. We'd pull them up, dad would fill it straight away, mum would put it straight in the fire pan. Yeah. Eggs, fish for breakfast, nothing. So this is it. like, I mean, the, this chat was, um, you know, should we keep eating fish? Yeah. And we have talked about commercial fishing, mm. right? But the recreational side of catching a fish is oh, unbelievable. So you're talking about that experience, right? So every year, mates of mine and I go on a trip to Fraser Island where we camp for a week, take the boats up. And just go fishing through the bay if we can get out wider past break sea spit and out into you know the open ocean and refishing you know sports fishing for mahi mahi Spanish mackerel that kind of thing. If you can go out there all day, you, you're tapping into the environment and you're kind of back into the natural rhythm of the world. So it's kind of like a not only are you going out there and catching a fish to eat, but it's therapy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with. There's a great book by a guy called Walter J Nichols who wrote a book called The Blue Mind. Yeah, right. Talks about the therapeutic benefits of essentially being in or on or near water and yep. even looking at a photo of water yep. calms us. It yeah, must yeah. be something very sort of, I guess, sort of ancient, prehistoric. Well, that's about, where every yeah. life came from, right? Yeah, it's fully, exactly. It's like the it's the fountain of youth. Like I'm, I'm pushing 40 now, so. We can um, tell. Yeah, <laughs> that's right, yeah. I grew this moustache because. Is <laughs> yeah. it a real one? I was like, I, I, need to, I need to have a real man and let's get a moustache going. If you go on fishing or you go on surfing and you have a good day out there, you can have a memory of being like 13 and, 
or like, you know, eight going fishing with dad at like three in the morning. We used to lug this tinny down the beach and hook this engine on. We, we couldn't go against an incoming tide. It was that small, my brother, him and I. And it's those kind of things that they're still with you. And every time you do that activity, surfing, fishing, whatever it is, you can just get put back to that totally. time. And so as long as you can stay relatively fit and flexible, those things can keep going. And you like, you look at, you know, some of the dudes that are like 60 still surfing and they're, they're killing it. Yeah. But I, I, I'd, I'd suggest, look, I love the ocean and, and water more than anyone, but I don't have to kill anything to have a good day out. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. well, that actually, but, but, that's a good segue. So yeah. this is a good story. <laughs> Here we go. So I was um, fishing with my dad. I must have been like, 10 years old and we were on a Warwick 36 so like a decent sized boat dad had got a like a really flash rod and this is when the you know the reel is up on the top like as if you're a real overhead overhead. and I'm still on the you know obviously the the, the, the crap one yeah Yeah. exactly it's still good yeah fine anyway dad need to go for a piss and goes (laughs) hey hold on to my rod and so he's down and by the time something slipped the rod's over well, this boat was not big enough. He was obviously irate, chasing me around this boat. I was afraid I was going to get a good old-fashioned beaten. Yeah. And, of course, I just had to keep tiring him out. Mum's, <laughs> mum, mum's in the middle going, don't kill him, don't kill him. Anyway, after a couple of hours, you know, he sort of calmed down. And uh, I've got the old egg beater out and fishing. Jeez, oh, I'm onto something, I'm onto something. What do oh, I pull no. up? I pull up a line. Yeah, right. I'm like, what the hell? So get the line. Out of nowhere, I pull up Dad's rod. Oh, good. Should, oh mate, you should have seen his face. He, I'm like, so you're really going to kill me over this? <laughs> yeah. Really? Again, experiences. That's right. Yeah. And you're like, don't mess with the spawn of Neptune. Yeah, exactly. Can summon a rod from the bottom of the sea on <laughs> command. It's interesting. I think a lot of people do consider aquaculture uh, or fish farms mm. uh, more sustainable than the, I guess, the alternative. And one thing I talk about when I get on my vegan bandwagon and do torture. not often. Yeah, not right. often enough, apparently. Um, <laughs> is that, look, aquaculture has a whole bunch of issues. There's a whole bunch of pollution associated with it. There's, there's uneaten feed. There's chemicals, antibiotics, obviously the, the, the feces, et cetera. Yep. And I think a lot of people don't appreciate the sort of inefficiency associated with uh, fish farming as well. So, for example, it takes about uh, nine kilograms of fish meal to produce about a kilogram of tuna yep. and about five kilos of wild-caught fish to produce about a, a kilo of dry fish meal. Yep. So. In, in in simple maths, it takes about forty five kilos of wild caught fish to actually make a kilo of tuna yep. at, on a on a on an aquaculture farm, which is obviously very inefficient. I guess I, I always look at it and go, well, from a if I look at the waste management hierarchy, or if I look at any sort of environmental sort of management hierarchy, surely one of the first things we can do is es- essentially avoid having to do this sort of practice in the first place. That's what I was trying to get trying to get an idea of as to why we even eat fish in the first place. Like obviously, I recognise that a lot of people eat fish because they like the taste of fish. Yeah, but is there a real need for eating fish? Well, yeah. Uh, before I answer that question, I, the the thing about how many kilograms of fish it takes to grow in mm. aquaculture. It's not one-to-one in the natural world either. No, not at all. So it might be, say, 20 kilos of pilchards by a tuna needs to eat for it to get a kilo on its sure. thing. So it's all but that's obviously a natural well. cycle. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Why do people eat fish? Okay, so it's the taste, it's the health benefits, but we're also, right now we're in Australia, which is a developed country. We have a lot of range of food we can eat. In many developing countries or like small Pacific Island nations, they don't have farmland. Yeah. Importing food is crazy. So... I was in the Cook Islands uh, two years ago for a tuna meeting, actually, and I was there for work. I was there for work. So that's just a humble brag. I was in the Cook Islands for work. Boom. It's a big deal. Yeah, there we go. Wow. No one else could go. I'll go. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so the Cook Islands pretty much imports all its food, right? Mm. And 
On that point, so actually, Australia, Australia imports 70% of its seafood as well yeah. as a general yeah. number. And so when we were there, it was 12 bucks to buy a head of broccoli. So wow. that is expensive. Well, and a broccoli farm on the Cook Islands. And it actually wasn't all that, like it was the kind of broccoli that if you'd see yeah. in a local supermarket here, you'd probably brush it. Yeah. So fresh produce there is very, very expensive. In those kind of countries, the biggest protein source they have is fish. Sure. And lots of their economy is driven by the ability to have fish as an export product. So you've got a protein source there that's, you know, providing sustenance and without it, what else would you eat? And then you've also got the livelihoods of the economy of those areas where they're selling their fish and people eating that fish elsewhere. And that's allowing those kind of countries to, you know, Mm. tuna, for example, is some of their biggest exporting products Mm. in the world. Mm. So it's not only the taste and health benefits, but in those kind of countries, it's kind of pure economics and, you know, livability of the, of the country. Talking about Australia's seafood. Mm. So we import about 70% of our seafood. We typically it's primarily from Asia. Uh, it comes from all around the world. Yeah, it, lots of the aquaculture comes from Asia. Yeah, but Australia doesn't really have like we we have healthy oceans, but we don't have like super vibrant oceans that mm. support a massive abundance of fish. Like half our continent yeah. is in tropical waters, and tropical waters are you know relatively um, you know nutrient poor, and they don't have big fisheries. So Australia's annual wild capture seafood is about. Uh, just shy of 200,000 tonnes, so 180, let's say, and then about 30 aquaculture. That's what we produce. In the global scheme of things, that is quite low. So there's an MSC-certified fishery in New Zealand that goes for hokie. That is 200,000 tonnes. So that is one fishery that is the exact same amount of tonnage as every wild capture fishery in Australia. There's a fishery in Alaska called the Alaskan Pollock Fishery that is a 1.3 million tonne fishery of its target stock. Those are white fish. They're kind of a, you know, mid deep water kind of fish, fast producing. They get really big. All that fish becomes primarily things like uh, fish fingers and, you know, fillet of fish, all that kind of thing. Crumb fish you get in the supermarket. Australia doesn't have that kind of fishery. So we don't have that volume that consumers go, that consumers need when they go and get seafood from a supermarket, let's say. We also eat a lot of canned tuna. And none of the canned tuna we have in Australia is caught in Australia. It's all imported. Mm. And it comes from places like the Western Central Pacific. And it's kind of one of those things where tuna, I mean, in Australia and like other countries like the US and that, if you talk about seafood, you think about going to a place that's like a fishmonger or someone that's selling a local catch that day. So, you know, say to someone, go get some seafood, you kind of think about what you get at Christmas, you know, prawns, crabs. Mm maybe a piece of fish from your local fishmonger. You know, not many people associate a can of tuna as a seafood mm. kind of product, and it 100% yeah. is. And, I mean, Jessica Simpson, what was her thing? It was like, um, is this chicken or fish? <laughs> <laughs> so it's called, yeah, because that brand's called Chicken of the Sea, so I can understand why she was a bit confused. But that's the thing, like, even myself in this job and knowing that my, my world's tuna, I still don't think about canned tuna as, like, a seafood product because yeah. it's not in my psyche as an Australian. Yeah. It's weird. Anyway, so... We get a lot of those white fish fisheries, the Alaskan pollock hokey and the tuna. That's all imported because we don't have those fisheries here to produce it. We also have, the, you asked about export. We have really high value species. And so they get, those fisheries get better prices in export markets to, particularly through Hong Kong and China. So the Western rock lobster, for example, and the live coral trout fishery in Queensland, they sell direct pretty much through the Hong Kong fish market and they live export and they would get, I don't know what the figure is, but, you know, quite a substantially large amount of money compared to what they could sell domestically because no one's willing to pay that money. And so those are kind of like 
boutique fisheries that get sent overseas. But the point is that the biggest fishery in Australia is a 30-ish, 40,000-tonne fishery that exists in South Australia that catches sardines, and all those sardines get fed to bluefin tuna in Southern Australia. So our biggest fishery doesn't actually give us any fish. And so Mm. it's kind of this situation where we don't have – the really high volume fish like you get with those white fish, hokey and pollock. Some of our seafood is worth more overseas, so it gets exported. And then some of our biggest fisheries don't end up being in um, the Australian market because, you know, there's just that's just the way that fishery operates. Something we haven't really talked about and and, and I guess would like to get your input on is, uh, as you know, we are in stormwater runoff and, yep. get and build you know devices to stop pollution going out. Have you and what's the research that you've seen around the impact of stormwater runoff or the impacts, I guess, globally to do with marine plastic, uh, Mm. other forms? I mean, we know uh, from research by the Sydney Institute of Marine Science that uh, roughly the uh, daily intake is one prawn per week. In your oh, yeah. So if you're if, uh, for fishing in the Sydney Harbour... If you eat yeah. more than one prawn... One prawn per ex- month. Exceed, yeah, exceeds your um, heavy metal intake. Dives. Right. Um, yeah, like, you know, plastic in the ocean. I mean, what type of effect is, is pollution having on the fishing industry? Uh, that's a pretty good question. I, well, I hope so. It's our yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when I say that's a pretty good question, all I'm doing is stalling for time. <laughs> yeah, so the fishing industry operates primarily, well, lots of the fishing industry operates under MARPOL, which is the marine and plastics. You know, you can't just pollute into the sea kind of thing. So most of the fisheries around the world, anything that comes into the MSC program is doing that. They're not chucking their waste out. When you've got impacts of plastic into populations, honestly, I'm like hard-pressed keeping up with fishery science, let alone all yeah. the plastic stuff yeah. that's coming through. But personally, the heavy metal stuff, I've, I've heard that like the larger animals in the ocean, swordfish and stuff, you shouldn't eat certain amount of you know, grammage per like mm. sit down meal or whatever. I haven't yeah. ever adhered to that. If I have swordfish, <laughs> I'll just eat it. It's delicious and it's cool. Go get it. But I in think terms of like runoff and plastic and stuff, th- that's kind of like, uh, again, it's not in my wheelhouse. It's outside my expertise. You laughed at your own joke then. I know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I laughed at the fact that I've, that's the second time I've done it. In my head, I'm like, you're better than that. <laughs> you, you can do better. <laughs> so having a science background, I don't like to bullshit and be the person that says facts incorrectly. So, so yeah, kind of, I yeah. want to talk I'm about stuff you. that I know about. So yeah. I don't actually know much about it. The fishing industry, I'm sure, is aware of those kind of issues and plastics in the ocean and the new wave of you know, research looking at microplastics in fish flesh and how much we have and how much we can eat and stuff. So I'm sure they're aware of it, but, I mean, it's, it doesn't it, really come into my day. It will day. come, well, if, yeah, it will. from our point of view and yeah. from our research, it will certainly be on your radar. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. It will certainly be a part of the MSC yep. accreditation yeah. soon. Well, it's just, it's just the impact is huge. And like I said, so at the start of this podcast, I was talking about how the MSC – doesn't push global best practice it adopts global yeah, best yeah, practice yeah, yeah. so if those kind of things come in you guys are going to start looking at it's it. like all right let's have a let's have a conversation about it stakeholders might start raising it to us so a lot of the time we put stuff in our requirements and we have a process where people can submit you know their query or concern to us and we internally deal with it and address it in our existing requirements or if it's something we can't answer we put in a policy development cycle we have our own internal governance structure that we put to you know, external experts that are part of the MSC who aren't employed by the MSC. As, as in the science group, every year, two times a year, we put 
the new projects to them. Everyone discusses it. We come up, you know, with ideas. So if the plastics things comes to a point where it's impacting fisheries and it's starting to have that thing, same with climate change, then it's, you know, it's one more thing. It's one more thing. And if if that becomes adopted in global best practice management, then it's going to come in. In other words, he he wants to come back in five years and be on the podcast. (laughs) I know everything about plastic and fish. It's interesting, like as a general rule, there's, I guess, three key things to consider when in terms of pollution uh, impacts on the quality of fish or and potential impacts to human health. Number one, fish obviously in polluted areas are are more at risk of being impacting to human health. So obviously, for example, in Sydney Harbour, there's no commercial fishing allowed. Why? It's because it's too polluted. Uh, so secondly is obviously if a fish or sorry, a marine species is like a filter feeder, mm. that's probably at a higher risk of, I guess, pollutant accumulation. But a third factor is if it's probably higher on the food chain, like sharks, et cetera. Yeah, bioaccumulation. bioaccumulation. Yep. So, and what was what, a what, uh, little stat I heard recently is that uh, this is coming out of a guy called Dr. Michael Greger from nutritionfacts.org. He was saying how, yeah, Fish were considered as being sort of a brain food, like there's a whole bunch of uh, omega-3s and fatty acids that improve brain function. But what they've actually shown in a lot of fish species is the mercury contamination is actually offsetting that. So actually whilst you might gain a couple of IQ points by eating a little bit bit of fish, you actually lose more than you gain because of the mercury uh, pollution in, in, in fish species. Yep. I so, mean, that's so, fair so enough, basically, but, it's still tasty and it's not yeah. doing anything to me. No, no, no. They're actually, the the it actually will make you slightly more stupid if you eat fish. If you eat fish, yeah. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did you get that doctor thing? You know, <laughs> no, me, me, no think fast on good stuff. Me, me eat fish lots. <laughs> oh goodness. Well, mate, um, it's been a really, really, really good chat, oh, hasn't it? A, I mean, this is why Brad and I like doing this, is we learn so much. Yeah, and. You know, like what you said before, you don't like talking about things you don't know about. And it's like everyone's got an opinion, just like everyone's got an asshole. Yeah. You know, and it's really great to hear your point of view. Mm. Great for Brad to have a, you know, because he hates hurting animals. You can see he's got dogs and stuff. And he does, you know, anything you kill, <laughs> so trees. So you have dogs, you don't like hurting animals. <laughs> well, That's you know what one. I mean. He, yeah, uh, yeah, no, but but yeah, look, I have a perspective. I have a yeah. bias. You, you've got a perspective and, uh, and obviously yeah. we can agree to disagree. Not going to have a, Punch up in the yard. Yeah, that's right. We, we can if you like, because I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't because I'm vegan. Yeah. No, no, no. You won't, mate, because there's two of us. One, yeah. one of the, uh, <laughs> I've got uh, you back, mate. One of the things I've really appreciated, because I think often when you see the, as I was talking to you before, like often you see, the, you know, read books, read articles, you get one side of the story, very little. Uh, to be honest, never have I actually seen anyone in any sort of medium have a discussion about the things that we've talked about today. Yeah. And I think, from my perspective, that's been really, really useful for me. Yeah. Am I going to eat fish? No. But look, that's my choice. And I totally respect your choice to eat fish, whatever. Yeah. Do I think it's the right choice? No, but that's okay. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I still so love you, baby. Down one <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine, yeah. mate. We, we, it's two against one. Yesterday, yeah. they, they were ganging up on me. You had yeah. two <laughs> vegans and me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought and, I was going to get stabbed by I mean, a cool But interesting, you mentioned you actually, you, you said you ate seafood. Do you eat meat as well? No, not anymore. But why, why is that? Uh, number of reasons. First is that it's expensive. Yeah. And uh, raising two children is yeah. <laughs> more expensive than that. But also, I guess... Kind of getting back to your point, the weight of evidence, you come up with an opinion and a perspective on, you know, reading whoever's side of the story it is. So, you know, an article like you were talking about, that guy saying, oh, yeah, this, this fish make you dumber because of mercury. Yeah. I'd be actually interested to know. I'm not having a go at him, but when those kind of things come out, it's often good to look into a person's credentials or totally. who the, who's funding that research to find out, you know, where it's coming from. So, to not eat meat was primarily due to a number of reasons, but the environmental impact of 
land-based meat production is quite high. So that's the other thing about wild capture fisheries is that they don't rely on modification of habitat in order to get that protein source and you're getting a surplus from the environment that, that keeps that stock in the in the environment as it was. So you're not like you know, say for example in Australia, pretty much everything we eat is a um, is a feral animal. Shark, uh, sharks. <laughs> you've got yeah. a great, you're Doctor Shark yeah. Man. <laughs> Doctor Shark Man. My brain's like again, get tool, back to sharks. Tool. Tool, 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 tool. So yeah, you got say yeah, cows, sheep. You know, th- those are the two main meat products we have. They're Peace. not they're not from here, and yeah, you have course. to modify habitat in order totally. to get rid of that. Uh, to get rid of it, to have that as your yeah. protein wow. source, you've got climate impacts. Uh, you know, production impacts on that. You've mm. got to change the environment. Mm. If you're eating sustainable fish and you're getting it from a wild captured fishery, you're getting something that can remain there and won't you know be impacted by your choice of eating mm. it. Plus, you're not modifying that habitat in any way to get it. So you kind of not only is your carbon footprint low and your you know warm hugs inside are high, but it's also you know, just another another way to get protein into your diet, which yeah exists and it's there to take. So it's interesting. Actually, one final question, and this comes out of it was a comment made by former Australian of the Year Philip Wallen in one of his speeches he made about being vegan or whatever. Yep. He said that the world's biggest ocean predator is cows. Is that in any way accurate? The world's biggest ocean predator is yeah, cows. Yeah, cows because there's obviously Maybe so much because of the amount of feed that yeah. go into them. Fish meal. Um, yeah. I wouldn't know what the numbers are, but it would be quite high. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, so like fish meal you gave at the university. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it could be, and that yeah. again, like that's a you know a stat that people throw out. I don't have the uh, the answer. Next time you come on the podcast, Adrian, yeah. we're going to ask you again. The world's <laughs> biggest predator of fish is cows. I've, it yeah. sounds plausible. Yeah, it's amazing to think it even remotely possible. Yeah. But look, I think we need to land this plane, baby. Oh, do we? <laughs> Mate, it's a hovercraft. My plane's about to take <laughs> off. I've got to see tools, so. <laughs> yeah. But no, thanks for coming on, mate. Look, it's, um, it's really great to have, I mean, all our guests are great, but to uh, have someone with as many puns as you has been great. <laughs> um, love your moustache, love your energy. And, um, mate, we'll come up and happily come up, obviously offering ourselves to come up. We'll come out. We'll take this vegan guy out fishing, shove some beers down him. <laughs> he doesn't drink either. Yeah. We'll show him a whaling good time. <laughs> boom, boom, hey, oh, boom. Waitress. Yeah. <laughs> Be here all week. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.